Welcome to the Teach Strong Talks podcast. My name is Sam Hart. I'm a primary school teacher on a mission to help school staff discover truly effective approaches to wellbeing. This podcast is all about tapping into the knowledge and experience of real experts who can break down the research and the tools that we can apply to our everyday lives to feel happier and healthier. Joining me on the show today is Roma Demija. Roma is a business and economics teacher and author of the book, What Young People Need to Know About Money, a quick guide to money, the economy and the changing world of work. And the book is what our conversation centres around today. I was so pleased when Roma agreed to come on the show and chat about the content of this book, her journey to writing it and the feedback she's had so far. During the episode, we talk about reasons for writing the book and then move on to those key takeaways for both children and adults. We talk about the important questions around money that children really want answers to, the link between money and mental health, as well as the considerations we must make as educators when thinking about the future world of work for our pupils. So let's dive into the episode. So Roma, welcome to the Teach Strong Talks podcast. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited. No, me too. And we were just having a bit of a chat um, before we hit record, weren't we? And Mm -hmm. well, just straight from the off, just all the different things that you were talking about and explaining the bits of research and all of those things. I was, I'm I'm, I'm now really looking forward to this conversation even more. So thank you for your time. I really hope I haven't (laughs) overpromised. No, no, not at all. Not at all. So um, tell us a little little bit about what a a normal week looks like for you working. (laughs) So, um, oh, wow. Okay. So I have recently just stepped back from leadership. Uh, So I've gone part time. Uh, So usually I have my Fridays, um, at which point I was up until recently when I published the book, proofreading it a gazillion times. Um, And so, yeah, I spend my Fridays. writing, proofreading, blogging maybe, etc., or doing research. And then I spend the rest of the week teaching fantastic students at business and economics. Uh, fantastic. And that's what um, I want to talk to you about as well, leading on from, from how you'd normally spend your, your day. Tell us a little bit about your background in business, economics, and, and even teaching as well. <laughs> sure. Um, so I come from industry. I was a marketing and sales. Uh, I was in marketing and sales for about seven or eight years, and decided to make the switch into teaching, uh, which I've never regretted. Absolutely love that. Um, so went into teaching and started teaching business and economics, obviously because of my background, um, and have been doing that now coming up to ten years. So because it's an optional subject, I teach it at GCSE and A-level, mm. probably mainly A-level now. Um, and uh, yeah, like I mentioned, uh, worked my way up. So obviously became subject lead, head of department, um, you know, assistant principal, vice principal, and then decided to take a step back, uh, take some time to write um, and have now gone back into the classroom um, for four days a week. Ah, oh, fantastic. So did that... Um... Was that at the same time then that you wanted to write the book? Did you take a step back thinking, I want to take a step back and, 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 lower, and, and lower the amount of, of days that you work so that you could write this book? Um, 
Well, partly. I mean, I feel like this this book has been 10 years in the making. A lot of the conversations that are in it, a lot of the questions that are asked are things that I've discussed with my students. Mm. And so I feel like this book has always been kind of on the back burner and always been going. But certainly, you know, anybody who has put a book out there will know the amount that you have to proofread. And, you know, and actually, when you're really tired, at the end of the day is probably not the best time to start proofreading a book. So it was nice to take some time out. And, you know, like I said, I've been in in teaching for 10 years now. Um, and I, I think just kind of taking a bit of a step back and taking stock, which I think a lot of people have done during COVID mm-hmm. um, and um, just taking stock uh, was really has been really good for me this year. And who knows what I'll, I'll go on to do, but that, it's certainly been great this year. Oh, good. That's really cool to hear. Lovely. And so, well, we've talked about the book, the book, the book, and we haven't actually explained, you know, the title of the book and kind of its 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 topic. So perhaps could you introduce it? Tell us about the, the, the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I published, I think it's just been just under two weeks now, um, published a, a book called What Young People Need to Know About Money. Um, and it's essentially a guide to money, the economy and the changing world of work. So it's split into three sections. The first one is personal finance. Um, and it kind of, yeah, it covers a lot of the basics in the first section, mm-hmm. such as, you know, credit cards and savings, etc. But I also wanted to put a different spin on it because, like I said, a lot of the questions and the activities come from the classroom. So I really wanted to include a lot of the questions that I get asked as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, things like, for instance, you know, I do cover in there the movement towards minimalism um, and introduce that to the reader if they've not been introduced to it. And I ask the question, does money make you happy and what the research shows around that? One of the other questions that I ask is, sorry, one of the other things that I talk about is money and mental health in there as well, Mm. which I think is really important. um, And there's a lot of research around that. So I really wanted to include lots of bits that probably aren't covered in normal finance books, but actually really affect people's lives when it comes to money. So personal finance is the first one. Um, and then the second section looks at the economy and just the basics of the economy, like how does it work? Uh, because I don't think you can really be an active player in the economy if you don't know, you know, kind of be proactive if you don't know how it works. But then again, I question things like, for instance, you know, the government is obsessed with GDP, which I completely understand, but it's very transactional. And are there other ways to measure the success of a country? Mm. Is it just GDP or the countries, you know, there's uh, countries out there that have adopted the growth, um, sorry, the, they've adopted a happiness index. So they try and measure how happy people are. And I think that's really beautiful and really important. Um, and I felt it was really important to try and put different perspectives into the book to just give a bit of bit more of a balanced account of the economy. And then the final one is the changing world of work. I mean, we've seen the world of work change so much over the past couple of years due to COVID. But what can we expect to happen in the future? How is recruitment changing? Um, and I wanted to explore a lot of that because obviously that's something that is on our young people's minds and, and things that I discuss with a lot of our young people as well. Mm-hmm. So the content of the book is just fantastic and it's so 
needed, isn't it? Um, so it's just. I'm so it's just glad a, you're saying that. <laughs> no, it is. It's it's fantastic. Those those elements that you just talked about, I just think are absolutely vital. And I've heard about the the happiness index, for example, which is I can't remember the name of it, but which country mm-hmm. they, they introduced that in. But um, so it's gross national happiness, and I think Bhutan was the first ah, one to introduce right. it. Yeah. So yeah, and you know, so I do ask that question about you know, is it just should we just be looking at economic transactions and how much mm-hmm. money we've got? Or surely we should be looking at other factors like people's levels levels of education, their you know standard yeah. of living, etc., and their happiness, for instance, their psychological well being. All of these things are, are important, and we have young people in our care that will go on to be decision makers of the future. And I wanted to make sure that the book made them think a little bit more broadly. More broadly, I was exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, that wider picture, not just. How much money can I earn? How quickly? Um, that doesn't seem to be what the book is about at all, is it? <laughs> well, yeah, it'll, it might help you with some of that. You know, I, I'm, one of my favourite questions, and I really encourage teachers to go and ask this, is uh, how much do you think you need to be happy? And you'll always see, like, hands shoot up and they'll, and I'll ask them. And it's always, it seems to be, I don't know why, seems to be around a million pounds. Yeah. And then I say, why a million? And a lot of the kids will be like, well, that's, what the, that's what you hear in, in the music videos isn't it you need millions <laughs> okay <laughs> but that's what they're making decisions based on that's what yeah. happiness looks like for them and so we need to probably peel that back a little bit and have those conversations yeah and perhaps we can come back to that because i think there has been some research hasn't there about the 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 amount of money the, the minimum amount to earn um yeah. in correlation with happiness and well-being so let's come back to that and let's come back to <laughs> the link between money and happiness um, money and mental health that you mentioned mm. um it's also so interesting how like you said that the the book stemmed from the questions that you were being asked and and that's what it's all about isn't it if these questions are being asked and children are, are not sure and young adults are not sure then that shows just how needed this is and and how vital it is that you put the work out there to answer these it's questions funny, it's, yeah it's funny isn't it because i always think Certainly for me, I don't know about anybody else, but I always find that life makes sense in hindsight. So I've been asked all of these questions during my teaching career and it just made sense to get them all down. Um, and I've done some a lot of these activities and, you know, I really thank my students in the, in the acknowledgements at the front because mm. they've helped me put this together and, and given me a lot of the things to think about um, but, you know, that doesn't stop you from pausing whilst you're writing the book and going, uh, nobody's going to want to read this. Surely nobody's going to want to read this, which you do over and over again. But I'm glad I've got it out there now. Oh, good. So, well, following on from that, could you tell us a bit about just the, the journey of, of writing the book and perhaps when exactly it came about, how long it took? I don't know, just, just anything that you might want to share about writing this book. <laughs> it was really interesting, actually, the whole process of, of getting the book out there. Because I had to make some quite difficult decisions and mm. and I wish somebody had discussed them with me beforehand. But for instance, I knew I wanted to put the book together probably quite firmly around two years ago, two or three years ago. Um, I just started seeing the, there were little things that were triggering it. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, you know how widely available Klarna is now. So students can and can split up their payments. So, you know, they'll go on to buy a hoodie, let's say. And they don't have to pay straight away. And so we've got students engaging in this activity of debt. Mm. 
much earlier at a much younger age. And I think that was probably one of the one of the triggers. Another one was I had a student who went to go, um, he went to do an a, apprenticeship in accounting. So he was working for a, a large accounting firm and he was moving down to London. And um, really astute student, really got his head screwed on. And um, he came up to me and he was, he was lovely on results day, came into my office and he said, I just want to say thanks. You know, for, I taught him for four years. I taught him at GCSE and A-level. He just said, I really want to say thanks, et cetera, et cetera. And then he said, you know, miss, I'm going to go down to London and I'm going to save all my money for two years. And then I'm going to buy a house. And in my head, I was like, sweetheart that, that's not how it works you know what do you think you're going to live on in London you know uh, but I didn't want to I didn't want to kind of just crush his dreams and I just said to him you know just um just enjoy it enjoy being in London have have loads of great experiences like you know go to the theatre don't just think about I'm going to save for this one thing but make sure that you take the time to enjoy it as well and then I caught up with him a few years later and he was like, Miss, what was I thinking? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I know, I didn't want to say anything. And that triggered the whole, actually, what kind of expectations are our young people going into the world of work with? Um, I read a report the other day uh, by the BBC, which said the av- students, young people now, expect that they'll be earning something like 90000 by the time they're 30, when the average salary for a 30-year-old is around 37000 I mean, can you imagine what that does to your mental health and level of satisfaction when it's that disjointed? Yeah. Um, so things like that really made me want to go, okay, uh, I've, you know, even if one kid picks up this book and it makes a difference, um, it's better than it's better than nothing. And so yeah, I just decided to put it down. But the process was really interesting as well. So I did the traditional kind of um, you know, putting proposals together. And um and I sent off some proposals and I had a publishing company that was really interested. And but my one of my conditions was that the book should be able to be picked up by anybody. So a 14-year-old kid can pick this up and work their way through it. A parent can pick it up and work their way through it with their child. A teacher can pick it up and use any of the activities in their classroom. So I wanted it to be really kind of like really appealing to all those audiences. So parents, young people themselves, and then teachers as well. Um, And the publishing company kept trying to make me change it. So turn it into a textbook. And I rewrote some of the chapters for them. And I just wasn't happy Mm. uh, because it wasn't really what I wanted. Um, It wasn't, it didn't look the way that I wanted. It didn't read the way that I wanted it to. And it didn't fulfill the purpose that I was writing it for, which is actually, if a child was to pick this up, can they just go through it themselves? I'm not going to withhold the answers. You know, all the answers for any of the questions are in the book. Everything's there. Um, And so I actually just said no. And just kind of, yeah, and just thought I'll I'll publish myself um, because it's important for me to kind of stick to the integrity of why I'm writing this book. And I just kind of looked at the structure and I thought, I can see why you're doing this because your target audience is teachers. But I, I want my audience to be broader than that. Yeah. Oh, well, good for you for just sticking by your sticking We'll by see your if guns. it works. I yeah. think people buy it. <laughs> Well, they seem, they seem to be. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, like I said, just good for you for sticking by it because that, that means that you can look back and it's a, it's a piece of work that you can be really proud of, can't you? And so easily we can get 
sidetracked and and go with people's suggestions when it doesn't sit right with us and then we maybe sometimes look back and go oh I wish I hadn't listened so Mm. fantastic that you just were like nope this is where I'm gonna do it (laughs) fantastic you make you make it sound really noble I didn't I rewrote my (laughs) chapters and then I chickened out so let's just (laughs) let's just let's just lay the cards on the table there (laughs) okay well those are your words (laughs) not mine Oh, great. That's really interesting to hear, though, about the, the, the process and the, the history behind it. Um, so maybe we can move into some of the, the kind of the key lessons from, from the book that you cover. Um, you've mm-hmm. mentioned some uh, at the start of our conversation, but if there's any yeah. that you want to take a bit of a dive into now, um, yeah, the floor the is key yours. Lessons. <laughs> oh, they're so... Do you mean in terms of key takeaways from the book? What do I want young people to take away from it? Um, I've I've always thought to myself, I'm a anybody who knows me will will know I'm an optimist, okay, through and through. And so when I put this book together, I just really, really want number one, I want young people to know that they are participants in the economy. Mm. You know, they're not going to have stuff done to them. They have the capacity to participate in the economy and I hope it and and to shape their financial future and I hope they look at it and they just think yeah actually I am going to set up my business or I'm going to do this or I'm going to invest in this or whatever it is but I hope they can feel that sense of agency at the end of the book you know whilst working their way through it so that's the first thing um I hope the second thing is it helps people realize that they have to talk about money you know we've got um, a really strained attitude when it comes to money. Yeah, I don't know whether it's just in this country. I'm sure it's in many others as well, but it's not getting us where we want to get, you know, and, and like I said, we'll discuss mental health and money later on, but it, it's not working for us. Not talking about it is not working for us. And I'll mention a particular demographic that it's not working for later as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's not working for us and and our kids are desperate to know. You know, if you think your, your students or, you know, your students aren't desperate to know how much you earn, you're wrong. <laughs> if you gave them the chance, they would ask you, you know, they would ask you how much your house costs and things like that. You know, how much do you spend on your groceries? Because every time I've opened that door up, they have absolutely come with like 20, 30 questions. And I've just tried to be as honest with them. Or if there's anything that I've not wanted to share, I've been really honest with them and said, you know, actually, I don't want to share that. And they've really respected that and they just value the opportunity to discuss it. So they're really, really desperate to know and we have to talk about money with each other and with our young people as well. And then I suppose the third one links to the the first one, which is I think sometimes the way we teach young people about careers is still quite old fashioned. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, you're going to work for 50 years and then you're going to retire and and it's definitely not that. All the research is telling us it's definitely not that. Um, and again, I can talk about that in more detail later, but they are not, the chances are that they are going to have multiple jobs. Um, I think there's some research out there suggesting that, you know, the average child leaving school now at around 18 is going to have about five to eight different careers, not jobs, but careers. Okay. And actually, we don't even need to look at it in terms of careers. If I look at my own, I was in the marketing and sales industry. You know, I was doing that kind of job. Then I went into teaching and now I've written a book and I'm also an author as well as a teacher. So actually, they're more likely to wear multiple hats. Mm. But I think sometimes when we give careers advice, it can still be very 
traditional, but that's not yeah. the world that they're going to enter. And that's certainly not the world that I've found. I'm quite lucky because I do teach A-level. A lot of my students get back in touch with me. You know, once they've entered industry, they'll connect with me on LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera. And mm-hmm. I can see that that's not the way their life is panning out. So I, I, hope, I hope that after reading the book, one of the takeaways is, it actually, you know, the world is your oyster and you can do lots of different things and you can pursue your passions. Yeah. And like you said, we're we, children are often taught to that traditional model of you're going to qualify and have one career, which in the past, that's what people did, wasn't it? You you did an apprenticeship or qualified as a certain profession and, and that was it. And like you said, work for 50 years until you can retire and then enjoy your pension and and that's that but if the world isn't like that anymore so perhaps we can re- return to that as you said that was kind of your your third mm-hmm. point so maybe we can come back to that and mm-hmm. so let's go back to you talking about money and mental health perhaps you talk about that's mm-hmm. one of the, the key takeaways um could you um maybe expand on, on that a little uh, what do you explore in the book around money and mental health Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I was looking at some research yesterday. The Citizens Advice Bureau has said they got 1,000, just over 1,900 calls a day in 2021 to do with debt and debt management. Um, Our average 18 to 24-year-old now has £3,000 worth of debt without their student loan. And so I, I think the the mental health issue there becomes quite apparent yeah. in that, you know, we've got we've got young people that, like I said, that are engaging in the economy much earlier without the financial knowledge to engage with it. And then they're finding themselves in situations um, where they can't mentally cope. In 2019, I think the BBC did a report about and it and it linked it's it linked over one and a half million people and their mental health was linked to their debt. And so there's all this research out there showing us that getting into excessive amounts of debt, feeling like our financial um, kind of our financial choices are out of our control has this massive impact on our mental health. And yet we're still not talking about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And what that does is it then obviously then just kind of turns into this massive wave where people feel like they shouldn't talk about it. They shouldn't have been in trouble when it came to money. Um, I was speaking to somebody the other day who said she, I think she only told her husband kind of five years into their marriage that she was in debt, you know, and I, and I know another friend who I think only told his wife 11 years into their marriage that they, that they were in quite severe debt. And so, you know, the impact that that has on your marriage as well is absolutely huge. And so, and your relationships. And so, and I think the other thing that I want to bring up is a lot of our graduate teachers, our finest teachers fall into that bracket, you know, in the 18 to 24 year old bracket. Um, And so it's twofold, really. It's number one, we've got to start talking about it early so that our young people feel like they can talk about it, you know, whether they're in trouble or hopefully it helps them stay out of extreme debt that they can't pay off. Um, So hopefully it does that. But the second thing is we cannot, which is why it was really important for me with the book that anybody could pick it up. So, you know, a 22-year-old, 23-year-old teacher could pick it up, use it in the classroom whilst learning themselves, um, which is why, again, all the answers are in the book, is because 
they haven't yet engaged in the economy. They're not buying their first houses or whatever it may be. And so it's really important for us to also support our young teachers whilst they try and support our young people when it comes to financial literacy. Yeah, for sure. It, it's so interesting. Is is it partly linked to social media and kind of the expectations and consumerism? Is that a simplistic way of looking at it? I don't know. But is it, you know, are young people getting into more debt now? Because it's like, well, everyone is thinking, well, I've got got to be wearing these name brands and buying this and buying mm-hmm. this. And so any money that I've got, I'll we'll be going on on these products and maybe I can just borrow a little bit of money to, to, to get me by and so that I can purchase these things. Yeah, I'm sure it is uh, to some extent. I haven't got any, I haven't looked into the research de- de- yeah. definitely linking those two things together. I'm sure it is to some extent, you know, previously it might have been, we call it keeping up with the Joneses, wouldn't we? Yeah. Where, you know, couples wanted to keep up with the next door neighbours or whatever it may be. And now it's happening a lot younger as our young people jump on social media and have people influence them online in whatever way. Um, and I think um, I'm sure that plays a part. But in the same breath, I sometimes get worried that either, you know, it's easy to blame one thing and then kind of recuse yourself of any control over it. Whereas actually we do have some control over how we educate our young people um, as parents, as, you know, I've just had a friend text me now and she's bought it for all of her nephews and nieces. She's bought the book for all of her nephews and nieces. And so, you know, as parents, as family members, as older brothers and sisters, et cetera, as well as teachers, because I'm really conscious teachers do a fantastic job. And I'm really conscious that we can't just say, here, this is a problem in society. You deal with this now as well, (laughs) you know, and we need to be mindful of that. Um, so I'm sure that there is linked slightly to social media, but you know, we let's not let's not completely take away any credit from our young people. You know, our our young people are also really well informed when it comes to mm-hmm. um, things such as the "Who Made My Clothes" movement and making sure that they're not buying clothes that are produced in countries where they are abusing labour rights laws and things like that. So let's not take away from that as well, you know, mm. uh, and then rejecting certain brands or certain labels or certain products because they don't feel like they are ethically made. And so there is, you know, there are there are pockets of students that are, or young people that are also doing that. So, yeah, social media probably does have a lot to answer for. But I think even if it wasn't there, we, you know, come on we all know that we'd be, you know, non-uniform day. What was that like at school? You know, you'd all be, all be looking at what the other person was wearing and you'd want those trainers or whatever it may be. Yeah. So if it wasn't social media before that, it would have been music videos. And before that, it would have been the school playground. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. No, yeah, yeah, I completely understand. Uh, and you're so right about children that are much more aware of of how their choices impact and like you mentioned about is this coming from an ethical source but also is it coming from a sustainable source is this a Mm -hmm. item that i'm buying that is good for the environment or doing the least amount of damage that it can do um and we also mentioned just before i I think before we hit record about how um, being more aware of how these investments can be um money can be put into companies that uh, perhaps don't align with our eth- ethics and our values. And so it's good that young people and, and us as well, adults, are becoming more aware of that. Uh, mm. That's really important as well, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, you can make investments. I'm certainly, you know, one thing I am going to say is I'm not a financial advisor. Uh, the book <laughs> doesn't tell anybody what to invest in. You know, if you're thinking of making a quick book, maybe you can let me know how you did it. Um, <laughs> but it's certainly not in the book. But it's just opening those questions up. 
Um, and, you know, when it comes to mindset, speaking to them about the movement towards minimalism, like I've spoken about, and there's mm. a great movement, you know, the tiny house movement and getting students to think about, actually, do you need, you know, when you imagine your future house, do you need a five bedroom house if you're only going to use three of the rooms in it? Um, and getting them to question all of these things. And these are things that people out there and young people out there are already doing, which is really nice. Um, and again, the point of the book was very much to kind of say, these are all the different ways that you can think about it. Yeah. But make sure you, you have a think about it so you're making proactive choices. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and so also linked to that, we you, you talk about the – sorry, excuse me um, – we talked about money and mental health and how um, the perception that kind of the, the more I earn, the happier I will be. And that's not quite the case, is it? I don't know if you wanted to expand on that. No. <laughs> uh, so I have got a chapter in the book called Does Money Make You Happy? Um, and there's a, I mentioned some research that is done by uh, some professors from Harvard who looked at you know, kind of all the research that looks at how happy we get in in line with our salaries, etc. And there seems to be a bit of a cutoff point um, where your happiness plateaus. And I think it's around 50, 54,000 pounds or something like that. Um, and at that point, your additional income doesn't actually make you any happier. What in fact makes you happier is what you do with that income. So, you know, whether you donate, uh, whether you help people whether you spend it on experiences yeah. and so it, this that section in the book is really getting people to think about you know are you sure that what you imagine your life what you want your life to look like is going to be serving you you know one of the um chapters in the book as well is called is just about wants and needs what you want uh, and and what are your needs what do you actually need and gets them to do go online and have a look at the way that other people live around the world and really question their own needs and wants and do you really need that uh, before they go on to an activity where they start costing up what their future life would cost them um and so it's really kind of taking them step by step of okay what do you want your life to look like are you sure you want your life to look like that because actually it's probably got more to do with how you want your life to feel um if you speak to a lot of young people they might put a monetary kind of value on what would make them happy. But actually, when you dig a little bit deeper, it's about how they want to feel. They want to feel valued and recognized by their friends. Um, you know, I was talking to my year 13 students the other day, and I said, <laughs> this is coming from your, I listened to your podcast, Big Questions, um, <laughs> uh, yesterday. And, you know, we were, and in it, you talk about the funny things that students say. And we were talking about whether we really make rational decisions, because in economics, you have to look at rational decision making. And I was going, well, do we really make rational decisions when we buy something or do we buy it because our friends have bought it or we've seen it on telly or whatever it may be? And I said, you'll notice a lot of your decisions are probably made by others in your 20s. Mm. And then I said, but something wonderful happens in your 30s. And one of the kids just put her hand up and went, menopause. <laughs> At that point, I was like, I've got to speak to your biology teacher because that's not happening in your Yeah, not quite that early. <laughs> so, she was like, and I was like, no, sweetheart, what happens in your 30s is you, you stop caring less and you think about, you probably think more about your personal happiness. Yeah. And so, yeah, the relationship between happiness and, and money is something that we expect to be really strong, mm. um, but actually is probably not as strong as we think. Yeah. 
And I'm glad you said that because it very much mirrors um, when I've looked into this as well, that that cutoff point where it plateaus of, like you said, around £50,000 a year. Mm. Um, I think they talk about, you know, once you've got your basics covered, shelter, food, mm-hmm. paying the bills, providing for your family, then if you've got that. And of course, if you're earning less and you're finding things difficult, of, of course, that's really hard, isn't it? And that's really stressful mm. and that can be a source of um, um you know, can result in poor mental health. Well, there's that brilliant quote, isn't there? It's uh, money doesn't make you happy, but it affects a lot of the things that do. Yeah. And it's so true, isn't it? And don't get me wrong, like we're talking about £50,000 as if it's not a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Um, and so you'd have to be doing pretty well and you'd have to be quite successful in your career to earn that, um, which is great. And again, it's about making sure that the expectations and the reality match up. Yeah, you know, and and um, you know, like I said, I was I was uh, I mentioned to you earlier. I was reading a BBC report that said that the average uh, that young people now expect to be earning ninety thousand pounds by the time they're thirty. Yeah. Um, when the average salary for a thirty-year-old is around thirty-seven thousand pounds, <laughs> I just thought to myself, how you know, think about how that's going to affect their mental health. Yeah. When they start nearing towards that age and they realise that that's not the reality. Um, you know, for some of them, it may well be, and I'm certainly not trying to limit their ambition in any way, shape or form. Um, but, you know, like I said, when you, when that, that cost of living exercise in the book, you can, you can have whatever you want, but you have to know it comes at a price. Mm. And can you get that price with the career that you're planning or the amount of effort that you're hoping to put in? That, that that's the kind of conversation that I think needs to be had, really. Yeah, definitely. Just opening up everyone's eyes to that, for sure. Um, and, and of course, that's, you know, we're not saying that if you earn less than £50,000 that you're not going to be happy. <laughs> that's another important point, isn't it? I earn well, less than £50,000. Me too. I, I'm, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> um, yeah, and, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. And I don't want people reading this book to think that I've got it sussed where I live in some grand mansion, believe you me. <laughs> I do not. So, but... These are a lot of the questions that I've learned to ask myself. And like I said, they're the questions that students are asking or they're really intrigued by. And we've got to talk about them. And you know, the thing that worries me, Sam, is that there are real sections of our society where these conversations are not being had. Mm. You know, you can bet your bottom dollar that the kids that go to Eton, their parents are talking to them about money. Their parents are talking to them about investments and how to almost multiply money. Yeah. But there are sections of our society where that's not happening at all or that's happening a lot less and it, it is causing us problems. Yeah. I mean, feel free to expand on that if, if you want, yeah. you know, certain um, – yeah, p- please go ahead so, if you'd like to. <laughs> for instance, you know, uh, N- the NEU um, published that 22% of women are affected by poverty mm. as opposed to 14% of men. And then, you know, and it's really easy to say, well, that's because, you know, they're primary carers, um, you know, or they're often, women are often working part time. And yet, you know, that obviously raises the question as well around how childcare is divided up between men and women in society. Um, But the problems are occurring much earlier. You know, there was, I don't know if you remember, um, there was a report published about the discrepancy in pocket money between boys and girls. And how boys are given more pocket money or given um, greater kind of um, 
financial rewards for doing chores around the house than girls are. But also, you know, the Money Charity released a paper, I think it was in 2019, that said that girls are more likely to be excluded from financial conversations at home, even though they're more likely to be managing the household budget. Mm. And so we've got a problem there, haven't we? Um, And I honestly believe that if we don't talk about this to girls, so I'm doing a couple of talks in schools, two girls in particular, um, because I think we need to address this problem. Um, But that becomes then magnified when they go into the world of work because they're not comfortable talking about money. So they're not talking about their salaries. They're not realizing if they're being underpaid. And then we have the gender pay disparity as well. And so it feeds into another thing. And we've got to realize that we've got to nip that in the bud much earlier. It's not when they're having children and they realize, yes, that's part of it. But actually, it's a lot earlier that they're not having those conversations. And I'll, you know, I'll speak from my own experience. I come from an Indian background and my, my dad never spoke to me about money or finances, but he did speak to my brother. Um, and we had a really good giggle when I was the one that published the book around money. <laughs> so, but, you know, he spoke to my brother about it. He didn't speak to me about it until um, his fan- his factory went bankrupt. And then I was probably about 16 or 17, but we were all contributing towards the household income at that point. You know, we all needed to. We all needed to pull together. You know, we lost our main source of income. And at that point, you know, we started discussing money. And I think as a result of that, I made better choices when I was at university. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. It's such a good point to raise. I guess it's just that um, that, that traditional outlook of, of yeah, well, the 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 men, the man is the the breadwinner. They're going to be earning the, the most money and making mm-hmm. all of these decisions. And it's like we haven't quite caught up to the realities of the 21st century yet. Um, and so, how amazing that well, one that you put the book book out there and and explicitly explicitly address this and then also the fact that you're going into schools and, and talking to, to girls about this is is just such an important um thing to be doing it's amazing oh thank you yeah and you know but again like I said it's not just that's just one demographic you know people yeah. from ethnic backgrounds are least likely to kind of um, you know, uh, have those financial conversations as well. And so, you know, we've got lots of areas and I think it just be, it would be just as valuable to talk about it to all young people. Mm. But that's just one demographic where I think we really have to, you know, they're less likely to get it at home. So actually, we might need to talk to them about it in schools. Yeah, yeah. Really good point, really good point. <laughs> so... Perhaps we can move on to a another section of the book, which you, you touched upon earlier, and that was mm-hmm. the changing world of work. And this is something that I've come across more recently. I read a book, I don't know if you know, uh, Yuval Noah Harari. He wrote <gasps> Sapiens, yes. yeah, and Sapiens <laughs> and, and Homo Deus. And in Homo Deus, he talked a lot about this, uh, the, the future of work. And I found it so interesting. I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but he talked about something like 50% of the jobs that exist now just won't exist in 20, 30 years time. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's something along those lines, isn't it? And so he, he also talked about, you know, the things that we're teaching children in schools now, they just won't need in 20 years time by the time that they are an adult looking for work. Um, so it's again, that example of where we just haven't quite caught up with the 21st century. Um, 
but that's just from my perspective. I, I'd love to hear more about what is in the book and, and, and what have you found out uh, and what do you want to share about the changing world of work? So I think you're absolutely right. But I think the, the flip side of that as well is it mm. can be really scary. Mm. You know, how can we expect a teacher to actually teach the skills of a job that doesn't exist? You know, my <laughs> teachers did not teach me about being an app developer because we didn't have apps, yeah. you know. Um, and so it's really difficult to do that. And again, I'm really, and I think this is probably the great thing about me be, having been in education and then the book coming out from education is that I haven't got these really weird, unrealistic expectations that we need to teach them relevant skills for something that's going to happen in 30 years time. We're not quite sure what that is. <laughs> we need to teach them now. <laughs> you know, sounds a bit bizarre, but you know, I have looked at some research. So if I give you some examples, PwC did some research um, and what they have done is they've presented two, four scenarios, sorry, of what the world of work will look like by 2030, mm. okay? And the scenarios are all quite different. Uh, so, you know, there's a scenario of actually there'll be lots of small businesses and we'll move back to that kind of customer uh, experience in, in business. And so there'll be a real desire for kind of a certain particular set of kind of customer service skills uh, and businesses will be led by a moral mission because that's what people are tapping into now. You know, like we spoke earlier about young people rejecting brands mm -hmm. uh, if they're unethical, etc. And then there's, you know, there's another vision where it will just be these conglomerates, you know, your Amazon, et cetera, who just, and actually there'll be no room for small business. And so what they're saying is we don't know. And I don't think that's a bad thing because you could look at that and be like, well, they're two complete polar opposites. So that research is good for nothing really, isn't it? And I'm like, actually, no, it's really empowering because it means we get to decide. Mm. And so what we kind of in terms of the world of work, the book does cover, you know, things like this research. It looks at, um, and I just want to highlight as well, because I think whilst we're having this conversation, it sounds like the book is just really dense with research. It kind of just poses it in a couple of sentences and then asks the reader questions because it is quite activity heavy instead to get people to think about stuff. But, you know, the, I present this research and then I start, I also present information around artificial intelligence and how that's affecting the world of work. And I can give you one example. If we look at recruitment, mm. okay, we are preparing our young people to go and see somebody face-to-face, -face, have an interview, et cetera, et cetera. That's really important. And they will do that. But it's not the way that they are recruited now. A lot of graduate schemes will not meet someone face-to-face -face until the third round. And the first couple of rounds the first round will actually be done using artificial intelligence. So I was speaking to one company, I'm not going to name which one, uh, but I was speaking to a company uh, who have thousands of graduates apply every year and A-level students as well for their schemes. And they use online systems and they feed a script into the system. They ask a series of questions online and students who do not respond in line, to that, in line with that script, so using the right terminology, et cetera, they get an automatic email saying that they're not through to the next round, which we're not preparing our young people for. Um, and so, you know, the fact that you need to have not only, I mean, we really promote literacy in schools, don't we? But actually, we also need to look at industry-specific literacy. And again, I'm not saying that teachers need to do all of this, but in your research, we need to be telling our young people in your research for applications, you need to make sure that you're using the right language. Mm -hmm. um, 
So, and the second round will probably be done on Zoom now, you know, post COVID, we've got used to doing interviews on Zoom and you're not going to meet a person face-to-face until the third round. And that's if you go through what I would say is quite a traditional route into work, which is you see an advertised job, you apply, you know, you get selected, you get shortlisted, et cetera. But actually, a lot of people are not being recruited in that way at all. A lot of people are being recruited based on their online presence, their online portfolios. And what I'm trying to say is we need to not look at all of this as scary because it's a great opportunity as well. If you've got a student that absolutely loves art, encourage them to put it online, to set up an online Mm. gallery. Yeah. Encourage them to share their creativity and their art. You know, they've got all of these opportunities to do this now. And so the way that people are recruiting is changing um, massively, not only the jobs themselves. And that's really important to know. And I think that's really important to communicate to our young people. um, because they need to be able to respond to that. Yeah, I I, I wasn't aware of those those new processes, but of course that that makes sense. Um, so a really well, interesting point. Got, yeah, if you've got thousands of people applying, the quickest way is to see who can meet your basic minimum requirement and answer yeah. some basic questions. Yeah, and just let the algorithm filter through. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and what you talked about, how the, the different scenarios, I thought that was really interesting because I guess from my perspective and, and like that in that book, Homo Deus, that I mentioned, it just gives that view of, yeah, there is going to be these huge, huge companies and it's going to be artificial intelligence doing a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of these unskilled jobs perhaps um, and and how yeah, those huge companies will just be taking over and that's the way it's going. But actually, like you said, we, we're at a point where we can choose the, the direction that we move forward. And it could well be that we fight back and resist that. You know, because that's already happening, I think, now, isn't it? If I walk down my high street, I like to find out, not my high street, perhaps a new place that I go to. I like to look at the little independent coffee shop. I want to visit that one, not the the you know the standard high street chain, chain. Yeah. yeah not that there's anything wrong with that and of course I'll pop into mm. those places every so often um but it's really nice to go to the independent places and finding out you know shops online you've got lots of alternatives haven't you of independent sellers and they're making homemade things and they're very they're very eco-conscious and they're sustainable and they're being ethically made all those things it's so and interesting it's being demanded that, it's being demanded yeah. of businesses to share their story to share their passion And so we should be encouraging students to share their passion as well. You know, we teach them about online safety, which is really important. And I've put that in there as well. But, you know, I think we should be teaching them to manage their online presence because future recruiters will be looking at that. Um, And so there's a section on that as well in terms of, you know, kind of in the recruitment section. I do cover that as well. But one other area that I wanted to talk about in terms of recruitment as well is this is the side hustle. The number of, you know, there are millions of people in the UK who have to supplement their primary income, either with a second job or a lot of them do it through a passion project. You know, it's something that they enjoy doing. The accountant who also likes writing poetry and might be sharing it online, you know, or the lawyer who's also a great artist and sells artwork online. And it might not be their primary source of income, but they do get to feed that part of their soul as well. And so, like I said, it's really easy to, I think, read some of the books or read some of the research and be like, we're doomed. <sighs> but we also have, the, you know, 
would I have had the opportunity to publish a book 30, 40 years ago? You know, when publishers could choose whether they were ever going to give you uh, the space to, you know, kind of promote your book, et cetera, et cetera. Probably not, Mm -hmm. you know. And so um, I think it's, you know, going back to what I want like young people to take away from this. And when I say young people, one of the most common questions is how young do you have to be to read this book? And I've said, you know, if you're 35 and you want to read it, that's fine. You'll get something out of it, I'm sure. So, but, you know, young people, whoever's reading the book, to get out of this is there is plenty of opportunity there and you are an active agent in your financial future yeah it's so it's it is a really exciting time isn't it like you said with different side hustles it's so no I don't want to say easy but it, but it's much more accessible to to learn a new skill that you might be passionate about and then put it out there to the entire world whether that's learning an instrument learning some kind of art form doing something like a podcast all these different things and I think the the point that you raised as well about your online presence, that's something you talk about internet safety, but also just that kind of what to call your online footprint. I think it might mm. be called, you know, the, the legacy yeah. that you're leaving online and being a bit wary of that, um, I think is really important for young people to consider because I, I, I think they've talked about how recruiters have, have looked through someone's Facebook profile and, you know, found that photo from 10 years ago that, Perhaps, you know, you wouldn't want other people to be seeing. Uh, So that's a really important point as well. And then just what you said about, of course, we can't teach children for jobs that don't exist yet. And I think one thing that has been said for, for a long, long time that true education is not about teaching the specific facts and things, but it's it's teaching children about the love of learning. So I suppose that's Mm -hmm. really important, isn't it? Because we might not be teaching for a specific profession now, but if we're, if we're teaching children how to learn better and how to be passionate about learning and teaching them that the world is truly their oyster and there's all these different um, options to explore, so dive into all of them and then find the one that really gets you fired up, um, I think that's really, really important as well. Absolutely. And I think we have to, you know, we have to be really honest with our kids. You know, if you think you're going to finish your A-levels and never go into a classroom style, you know, a classroom environment or or a lecture environment ever again, sorry to break it to you, you are, (laughs) you know, you're going to need to, in order to be relevant in the workplace, you're going to need to. So yeah, you're absolutely right there. Yeah, we have to be lifelong learners, don't we? And we have to teach our children to be lifelong learners. Yeah. Ah, oh, interesting. Right, well, we've we, we've covered so much, and it's been such yeah. a, a joy to ch- talk, talk to you, Roma. Um, there's a few questions that I like to ask at the end to wrap things up, but sure. and there's no pressure here. Well, is there anything before I ask those questions that you would like to to add? I, I don't know if there's anything that I, I I missed out that you might really want to cover, and no problem if it's not. We can just jump into the final questions. Um. I don't think so. I feel like we've covered so much. Okay, that's um, fine. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think there is. I think you've, yeah, we've really managed to cover a lot of what is in the book. I just encourage people to go and have a look. And even if you just go jumping on Amazon and, you know, you can have a look at their look inside bit and it will give you a breakdown of the contents to go and check it out. Um, because I hope you will, at the end of this, discuss money with other people, whether it be, you know, younger siblings, whether it be nephews, nieces, whoever it may be. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, 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 I'll come back to, to the book and the details of, mm-hmm. of where to get it and all of those things. But before then, let me ask you the, the two final questions that I love to, to ask guests okay. on the podcast. And, and one of them is just your, your three top tips to thrive. And I suppose these can be around your book and money and finance and business, or it can be just um, life in general, just th- your three top tips to thrive. <laughs> My first one would be enjoy rejection. Um, and, um, cause you asked me, what do you wish, or you, you asked me earlier, what do you wish you'd been taught at school? And I wish I'd been told that rejection is common, mm. you know, and not to shy away from it. Um, and one of the best things that I think ever happened to me, I think everybody should have to do like a year in sales after school <laughs> because it just sorts you out. You know, I had this, I had this, uh, sales manager, who used to kind of check my nails and my shoes were polished and things like that. And, you know, when you've just left school and you're just trying to keep it together, um, you know, he'd kind of make sure that we were well presented all the time. But one of the things that he taught me was on average, because I started off just making calls and he said, on average, you will get a booking or a meeting after 50 phone calls. And so he said, why do you get upset at call 39? You know, like, who cares? Just bang out the phone calls. And so every time somebody put the phone down on me, I was like, oh, that's another one done. Then I'm closer to 50. And it just made me a bit tougher. And so I think one of my top tips to thrive is just know that rejection is commonplace and that it's okay. Um, and I think linked to that is you is this idea of um, you are the hero of your movie, but everybody else is the hero of theirs. So nobody cares if you fail because they're probably not paying attention anyway. You know, nobody's waking up in the morning and, you know, nobody's waking up and thinking, oh, you know, I wonder what Roma's doing today other than Roma, you know. <laughs> so, so just stop, stop worrying about that. And I, I just wish, I think sometimes I just wish that, you know, I could kind of like hand a little bit of bravery or a bit of courage to our young people and just be like, just go out there. It's okay to fail because nobody's paying attention. Um, and then, yeah, know that rejection is commonplace and it's good for you. It's really good for you um, uh, because it will also teach you to walk away from stuff that you do, don't think is working. Um, mm. And then I think the fi- final one, uh, and I always say this to, oh, I think to, to with finance, a good attitude gets you a long way. Mm. You know, and the, the number of jobs that I've had um, – that um have that have been uh through recommendation so there's that um a good attitude will get you a long way and that's both towards your work but also towards money and it's that idea of it's a choice if you want to change your lifestyle every time you get a a pay increase you were happy you know i don't know if you you know if uh, if somebody's listening to this and they're on let's say 50,000 pounds you survived on 25 and you were probably having a lot of happy days as well. So if you're changing your lifestyle, and obviously in some circumstances you have to, you're not going to not feed and clothe your children, you know, if you've had children, but it's a choice. And so your attitude there will get you a long way as well. You don't have to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. Yeah. I love all three of those tips. Um, Yeah. Fantastic. It's so true, isn't it? That, That second one about, as we're so young and so worried and thinking that everyone's looking at us and worried about what we're wearing and what we're doing. And no one cares. No one cares about that at all, do they? No. Everyone is just kind of and got their own thing going on. it doesn't get any easier. 
Yeah, it doesn't get any easier no. as you get older. Like the amount of times I've been scared to talk about the book or even release the book, you know, the amount of times I just went, nobody's going to read this and I just packed it away. Um, and I can honestly say in the two weeks that it's been out, I've had nothing but people be wonderful about it. Um, and I'm overwhelmed by that. And, you know, every time I see, you know, a, a kid with the with the book in their hand because their mum's forced them to take a picture or something like that, <laughs> I just think that's another conversation. You know, that's another conversation happening in a household about money. Um, that's yeah. great. Um, but, yeah, it happens at any age. We're all scared, um, and it's okay. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. But what a proud achievement. How amazing must it be for you to see those pictures and those that and that feedback? Amazing. So so now perhaps we can talk about um where can people get their hand their hands on the book then? <laughs> so it's available through Amazon. So yeah. there's a couple of things. So it's available through Amazon. You can buy it through Amazon. If um you would like me to come in and do a talk at your school, I would love to. Um, I absolutely thrive in that environment. I'd love to come and speak to your young people. Please do get in touch with me. And then you can also, if you would like to kind of bulk order books for your school. Um, so for instance, I've had schools that have bought them for their pupil premium students, etc. Um, I've had schools that have bought um, a class set, for instance, and they're going to use them at tutor time. So different tutor groups are going to use them at tutor time, etc. If you'd like to bulk order any books, you can do that directly through me as well. Um, and um, you, all you have to do is you can just tweet me, really, send me a message on Twitter um, at no one told me how. No one told me how. Fantastic. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time this afternoon, Roma. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, as I said, and you've just you've shared so much. And it's one of those conversations where it brings things back to the surface for me, where I think, yeah, I need to go away and have a look into that again. And um, so, yeah, you've inspired <laughs> me to to think about finances again and the world of work. Um, it's a it's a really fascinating topic. So thank you for for sharing all of your your knowledge and your ideas. Thank you so much for having me on the uh, on the show. I've absolutely loved it. Oh, good. <laughs> I'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> so there you go. Thank you so much, Roma, for joining me on the podcast today. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. I feel like we covered quite a lot there, and I'm so glad that we got to share with you some of those key discussions around Roma's book. Now, if you do want to get your hands on a copy of what young people need to know about money, you'll find a link to where you can purchase the book in the show notes. And of course, if you did enjoy the episode, please do share with friends, family and colleagues. And as well as that, it would mean so much to me if you hit like wherever you're listening to this podcast. And also if you followed the show wherever you're listening to like I said, if you share it on your social media channels, tag teachstrong underscore, tag Roma, that would be fantastic. We'd love to see what you thought of the episode and what you're thinking about the book as well, any thoughts you've got around the book. Thank you for joining me again, and I'm looking forward to sharing another episode of the Teach Strong Talks podcast with you soon.